0: Hey guys, my guest with me today is Thomas Edwards Jr. He's an innovative visionary of maximizing fulfillment in life using his unique game-like methodology for high-level transformation. Thomas works with professionals, leaders, and businesses who seek to level up their purpose, joy, and passion and fulfillment in life. A, A former professional wingman Thomas has been featured in hundreds of media outlets, including Men's Health, The Wall Street Journal, GQ, Entrepreneur, The New York Times, as well as MTV, ABC, and The Steve Harvey Show. When he's not collecting watches, Thomas is swimming laps in the pool, going on date nights with his wife, or being a proud father to his four-year-old daughter. You can find him playing some of his favorite video games at his home in Carlsbad, California. Thomas, wow, what a bio, man! Happy to have you on. <laughs> how you doing today? Good, man. I didn't make that bio, by the way. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, it's good, pretty man. awesome. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, just like we were talking just a second ago in our warm-up chat, there, uh, how uh, you had got to this place in your career with all these achievements, but it wasn't glittery and roses once you got to the top, man. Kind of lead us into like how you got to that place and what was going on inside of you. And what it shifted into when you had this wake up moment in your life? Yeah, I would love to. You know, it, it can even I can even go
1: as far back as childhood. You know, I was you know born in in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, my family is originally from Jamaica, so I'm the first generation, first American born in my family. And uh, within a few months, few years, we had moved in. We were one of the first black families to move into a predominantly white neighborhood, and Like from there, there was a lot of expectations that were placed on me to, I was really considered the golden child. I was even the baby of my family. And so it was a lot was riding on me to to be really successful. And my parents were very diligent and vigilant in in letting me know that, you know, all you need to do is, you know, get an education, get a job, save money, buy a house, and then you can do everything else, you know? And, And I'm very impressionable, especially as a kid. I think most of us are. So I really did that. I really tried to focus and, you know, had to deal with a lot of bullying along the way, Uh, had to deal with just a lot of internal adversity. And and I didn't really get a place to talk about about my parents because my parents were very driven on just Don't worry about it. Put that aside. Focus on what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And that was very troubling for me. And it was was very difficult. And so I wasn't really in a place where I got to talk a lot about my feelings. And that just went on and on uh, through college and When I graduated, uh, this was 2008, I wasn't able to get into the job in which I had uh, got a degree degree in. And so I started thinking about if there was anything about my life or about my skill set that I could get myself into that could generate an income. And at the time, when I was in college, I was very into personal development. Uh, And I figured, okay, like maybe I could really focus on providing a service or offering something to someone that could be really helpful in, in a particular part of their lives. And so I did a scan and I was like, oh, like, I'm actually reading a lot of information about, you know, dating and relationships, and lifestyle development and style and social skills and networking. Why don't I create something around that? And so went to South by Southwest in 2009 as a way to kind of figure out what I was going to do. And then it dawned on me. I could be a professional wingman, you know, and I could go out and I can show people how they can develop the social skills so they can meet people in real time and build romantic relationships or any type of relationship that they want to create. So I went back and branded myself as this, and you know, within a few months, you know, I found myself in the Wall Street Journal and I remember I was still living with my parents at the time and my mom was knocking on the door and she was like, my neighbor just read about you in the Wall Street Journal. I had no idea I was in the Wall Street Journal. But I look at my website and I'm getting tens of thousands of of unique visitors to my site. And I went from servicing three clients uh, in the Boston area to now fielding and working with clients internationally from Sierra Leone to Shanghai, I had clients in New York and in, in South America. I mean, it was that dramatic. And, and it was really exciting. I finally had a chance to really make a living and, and make a name for myself. And then that's when all the media just really started to roll in. And so as you eloquently put in my, as I said, it was in my bio and it was pretty much in every media outlet that's out there. And in that time, I also you know, found uh, the love of my life and we were dating and eventually got engaged and then eventually got married. And I'm thinking like I'm on top of the world here like everything is absolutely amazing and I set a goal for myself to be one of the best in the world at what I was doing at the time which was really focusing on social skills long-term relationships and, and confidence building so as we talked about before we started this like I ended up on a Steve Harvey show and really nailed that segment and for me, that was a really big moment because I was being acknowledged as one of the best in the world. And in fact, it was a point in time where you could Google best dating coach. And I was and I was up there. I was there was literally a list and I was in the top five. <laughs> and so I remember celebrating on a you know rooftop in Chicago it was in a hotel that I was staying at because they flew me out there. And I was surrounded by people that I knew, people that I didn't know, but just wanted to celebrate with me. And I had this feeling of like, wow, like I actually made it. Like I'm being acknowledged as one of the best in the world. People know me, I'm making money. I got my girl, like I'm feeling great. I'm looking great. Why am I feeling this emptiness? And it was so strange. I didn't understand like how to handle that. And it was so strange and so uncomfortable. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to talk to about it. So I just avoided it. But the thing about emotions is that they, they can linger, you know, and I didn't know that at the time, because I just knew nothing about emo- handling emotions based on you know, a lot of stuff I dealt with in my childhood. So I began the this, this steady but deep descent into my greatest depression, you know, I was really just lost, not sure what to do after feeling like I accomplished what I went out to accomplish. Uh, I didn't know how to talk about it, manage it. And then alcohol and drugs came into the picture. I was using that as a really profound escape tool and mechanism. And that started to take over my life. Actually, it did take over my life. And everything that I had built, you know, in a, in a short period of time was even quick, you know, in, in a quicker fashion, burning, you know, I started my you know, first business at 22. So by the time I was in my, you know, 30s, things were falling apart. And then, what really changed things was when I found out that I was gonna be a dad, you know? And I, and I always describe it as the best worst day of my life because it was clearly my, the best day of my, one of the best days of my life because I always wanted to be a dad. I, I knew that since I was a teenager that I wanted to be a dad. So to have that moment happen, it was absolutely amazing. It was also the worst day of my life because I knew that, that the identity that I had created and I attached myself to being the wingman.
0: Mm-hmm
1: died and once again didn't know how to handle it you know and so i basically spent the next year and a half actively mourning the death of that identity struggling holding on you know and so i would go out i would party and i would come back home like you know it used to be two o'clock in the morning then it was three then it was four then sometimes i wouldn't come home at all and wouldn't show up until the afternoon still high still drunk just an absolute mess and after a little bit, my wife came out of the bedroom one day, and she said, "You know, this is not this is not the marriage that I want to have. You know, like something needs to change, or I need to make the change myself." Right. And right. she she used I paraphrase there, but she definitely used specific words that wasn't pointing a finger at me, but I internalized that it's something in me needed to change. And that was when I realized my thinking. And all the tools and and, and resources that I was using got me into this pit. So it's very, I don't think it's possible for me to think that my thinking and the resources and tools that I have is going to get me out of this. So I'm no longer equipped to be able to figure out how I'm supposed to deal with this this life. And I knew that if I didn't, I was going to die because my, my behavior and my thinking was not leading me to a better place. So that was the first time where I just realized like, I need support, I need to talk about this, I need outside counsel to figure out how I can figure out what's going on with me. At the time I would say, what's wrong with me, right? And that was when I got into therapy, I had two therapists, a personal therapist, a couples therapist, I saw a psychiatrist, I saw an addiction doctor, I hired a life coach, Had a spiritual retreats, leadership week, I, mean, I, did, I did the whole thing, you know? And my life was incrementally getting better, you know, I, I will say that. Um, but every 90 days or so, I would have an episode where I would just not be able to handle the progression, and then I would just go back out and, and just completely destroy my life. And about, so January 4th, this is January 12th, actually, 2019, I'm, I'm still trying to cling on to my wingman persona and i'm going out to work with a client and after and i was just about to leave the house and and i just like i told my wife i was like i feel strange i feel like i shouldn't be going out she's like well just go and come back like you're just going to work like it's not a big deal i remember leaving and i remember walking into the bar and just like blacking out completely i never i didn't even have a drink in me yet but i just totally blacked out and when i finally came to some level of consciousness i was standing outside of my apartment and it was 6 a.m and you know, my wife and I had agreed on a boundary that I had come home, you know, late, I'm just not allowed back in the house. So she held that boundary, bless her heart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that just totally, uh, you know, gave me more excuse to, to tantrum, right, to have this adult sized tantrum to go out and continue to drink and party, but it was miserable. I mean, I was crying, I was embarrassing myself, I was calling friends, to, like spend time with me and basically coddle me and mm-hmm. enable me, you know, and mm-hmm. so I ended up uh, blacking out, and I feel like in that time where I blacked out and I came to consciousness on the 14th of January 2019, I felt like a higher power came in and just removed this obsession to to drink, right, And, and, and abuse drugs, and I remember waking up feeling that and also being petrified because I didn't know what life could look like if alcohol and drugs weren't in my life you know and i always use the analogy of um the matrix if you seem to the, the first matrix and neo you know he's they just uh pulled the plug and he's like why do my eyes hurt you know and morphe is like you've never used them before you know that's what it felt like for me uh, i was living in a world that i never had lived in before and i didn't know what to do i was freaking out and eventually i was able to get other levels of support through recovery programs and and start to build things but that particular experience the reason why i share this experience is that having that experience of having the you know obsession to drink being removed from me what it actually did was imagine having a, a hot coffee right and the coffee represents all the tools all the material all the coaching advice that you were given right? The practices and the strategies to live a better life. That's the coffee and my drinking and my, and, and then by the way, the drinking was a symptom. What I was really addicted to was escapism. I didn't want to face my emotions. I didn't want to face my feelings. So imagine, you know, my, my escapism was the cap onto the coffee, just completely holding (laughs) all the steam, all the warmth, the, you know, the heat inside that cup. Mm -hmm. And when that experience came in, where that obsession was relieved, it was like, it was like the cap came off and the steam got to like, finally let go and the coffee got to cool down and everything became more digestible. Everything that I learned and took on, I was able to actually see the clarity and the purpose in which I was able to use those things. And so... Things dramatically got better after that, but there was still one thing that was missing. I still felt a little weird. And I realized that in the process of getting my life back, I wasn't having any fun. You know, I was doing all these things out of obligation. And sure, like I created these obligations, I created these responsibilities, right? Being a husband, being a father, being a businessman you know, and any other roles that I play in my life. I created a lot of those responsibilities, but I didn't feel like I was having fun. And I knew that if I wasn't going to enjoy this, it wasn't going to, it was going to be only a matter of time before I went back to my old behavior. So I set out on a quest. I like to call it a quest to find what fun looks like in my life. And I really can be connected with my first true love, no offense to my wife, (laughs) um, video games. Video games was were always the tool that I use not to escape, but to express myself, to feel connected, to feel that sense of creativity and wonder and safety and vulnerability and and just all these things that really enhanced my life and the experience of it. And so I decided I'm going to pursue a career (laughs) in being an esports athlete and uh, I, I trained in, in a particular game, it was Tekken 7 for those who might be gamers listening on, and I entered a tournament, and it was a pretty big regional tournament. It was sponsored by Red Bull. It was up in the, um, you know, in Orange County. And I remember walking into this arena, this esports arena, and I was like a kid. I was surrounded by my people, mm-hmm. <laughs> gamers, and, and learning to play and, and getting tips and strategies and watching games and just really allowing myself to be at my fullest expression and creativity. I mean, I was a total newbie to the, the whole scene as it, it was evident that like I brought the wrong controller to the, to the tournament. I had to borrow someone else's controller. And despite all that, I actually did pretty well. Out of 100, 120 people, I came like 33rd. And so like that was actually really cool. But what was really exciting for me was the, the overall experience of really being myself and, and having something in my life that I enjoyed from start to finish. you know, like I enjoyed the idea of creating that idea of going after for going after becoming a, an eSports athlete. I enjoyed the process of training and and playing and, and and having fun with that. And I also enjoyed the the finality, the destination of actually entering a tournament. and and regardless of what the outcome was, it didn't matter to me at the time. It was actually really irrelevant. And when I was having dinner with my buddy who came with me to support me, I had this, this aha moment. I was like, wow, I I wonder if there was a way I could structure my entire life. Like I was training for a game or a tournament, you know, and have fun, just like I would in video games. And then it occurred to me, wow, what if I made life a game? And so I went back and I looked at my my journal somewhere around here, but I I like to journal. And so I, I looked back and All the things that I had learned through all the therapy and psychiatry and the leadership weekends and what I practice, it all looked like if I could structure that into a game-like experience, this could be really amazing. And so I thought about video games and the first game that I played was Super Mario Brothers. And I thought, you know, what a great analogy for life. You know, I feel like so many, so many of us live in scarcity where You are like Mario, you're little Mario and you're on your last life, the counter's running down and all you're doing is you're trying to survive. You're just trying to get through, you're avoiding enemies, you're avoiding pits, you don't wanna take any risk or chances. And something magical happens when you get a green mushroom which is what represents the extra life. All of a sudden your psychology changes. Now you're not so worried about screwing up or dying, right? If you make a mistake, you don't have feedback and like any game you're going to ha- you're having fun so your willingness to try again completely goes through the roof like it just amplifies mm-hmm. and so i thought wow like that's a pretty cool idea it's like the one up effect and i was like oh i really like that that's really fun and it's really cool i think a lot of people would get that this idea of living your, your life like you found an extra one which is in a place of abundance as opposed to a place of scarcity and so i really went deep into this and Now, here I am, you know, basically calling myself a playfulness coach because I feel like playfulness is something that's missing a lot of people's lives, like mine. And I found through research and science and and just various studies and talking with a lot of people that playfulness actually is a form of mindfulness. And when you're able to practice such, you're actually able to be present more in life, but with more happiness and joy and appreciation for everything that is is in it. Mm -hmm. And so, that is <laughs> uh, in a nutshell, you know, how we got to where we are today. So, yeah, thanks no, for giving me the time it, to share all that.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff, bro. No, it's uh, something my uh, wife and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago. She's like, you need more fun in your life because, mm. like, I work in the oil fields and uh, it's pretty hectic out here. And I think what attracts oh. people to this industry is the overtime. Mm. You know, like, yeah, we do like 60 hours a week is a minimum, you know, like, 70 hours a week, 6 days. Like I've worked 6 days a week, 12, 14 hours a day for the last several weeks and I get to a place where I'm just like burnt out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I try to console myself telling myself, "Well, I'm 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 a breadwinner. Uh, my kids are in a private school, we have a nice home. Uh, I'm able to pay for my wife to go back to school, get her master's degree and and uh, I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't working so much." So I kind of console myself with that, but there's still a part of me that feels robbed, that feels cheated because Mm -hmm. my identity is not just my labor and my work, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm actually working with a life coach now myself and uh, his name is Joel Hassenrider and he's part of the ULA team and they have these uh, seven Fs they walk you through, Uh, faith, family, fitness, finance, fun, friend, all these different things. And we got to the fun module and I'm supposed to write down like things that I enjoy. And I'm like, (laughs) clueless. I'm like, am I even allowed to, I'm 43. Like, am I even allowed to have fun with my life, you know? And
1: that's um, a great question,
0: bro. I mean, that's, that's the question
1: I hear so often with so many of my clients. It's like, I don't feel I'm allowed to have fun because I have all this other stuff that I have to do and you justify it right like you the way you justified it with every, like yeah like I'm able to have my wife go to master's master's, we have a great house like it creates a lot of freedom and like freedom and flexibility right you can justify it but how free are you really if you're not having that other part of you that feels like wow like I'm totally feeling a sense of greater fulfillment and a greater sense of joy about this experience called life you know and I work with a lot of top performers and like you, like they're 60 hours a week is, that's like nothing. You know what I mean? They're typically working a, a lot more than that. And so I, I really spend time with them saying, hey, like, let's break it down. Like what actually makes you happy? You know, what's actually good for your well-being? These two are mutually exclusive, right? And and, and what are and so the way I, we talk about it, there's four worlds that we play in. It's purpose, play, passion, and performance, right? And so inside of play, there are three levels. So it's the people, the places, and the experiences that bring you happiness or joy. And so you do an, an inventory of those people, those places and those experiences. And you, and once you, even if you have a small list, you don't even need a large list, but once you have a small list, you can then zero in on how can we make this a part of your weekly or daily practice, you know? And so if you have a, let's say, you know, you have a, a hiking trail behind you know behind you that's close by, and you know that every time you go on a hike, and you're able to bask in the sun and smell the fresh air, like that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. It's also great for your well being. That's something that should be a part of your your daily practice. And then you can then determine, okay, like if I can spend one percent of my day just doing that, which doesn't seem like a lot. Would you hear it? <laughs> right but this this is very difficult for challenging for a lot of people but one percent of your day is just 15 minutes right so like if you're able to spend one percent of of time allowing yourself to feel a little bit of happiness and joy Mm -hmm. it gives you so much more than just energy and willpower right like that's like that's like an obvious benefit like the feeling of being burnt feeling that feeling of burnout actually decreases the more you give yourself those type of things but, but it gives you a sense of connection to life right it gives you a sense of connection to yourself right yeah. you're not doing we're so used to doing things for other people even though we've created those responsibilities for ourselves but it's very rare that we take a little bit of time to do something for ourselves just because we want it yeah you know no i like so, that
0: it's, uh, i love that i think afterwards i always come back when I do take time for me, I get a reset. And I can go back to the obligations, which none of us can get away from, you know, like we, we have yeah. these obligations as men, you know, or whatever. And, and I feel charged. So I had to make this list of things that I've been wanting to do these things since I was in high school, right. And there's been times in my life where I've dabbled with them, but then they went away because father, husband, worker, you know, brand building, all this stuff. But Uh, my personal ones are like, I want to learn Spanish fluently, like growing up in El Paso, I had to learn it kind of to survive on the streets. But for me, and as soon as like, I get finished with my coaching, uh, program, uh, I'm going to get myself a cello and I'm going to get myself a how-to book on Spanish and I'm going to start getting up in the morning and I'm going to devote that time because it makes you feel when you're not doing that stuff, I don't know. I don't know how other like your clients feel, but I feel like a slave. Like I'm a yeah. slave to that matrix system. Totally. You know what I mean? Like my energy 100%. is being snapped out of me to be used for some other purpose, you know, to like yeah. um power this machine of life and industry that we're all in or whatever, you know, and it yeah. can make you bitter. A hundred percent, man.
1: Like my, my thinking is You know, and listen. Like I shared in my story, that my programming in my life was about being successful, right? It was all about being successful, being the gateway to happiness. And I created that success for myself, and I was not happy. And that was the first time where I started to realize, now in reflection, that success and happiness do not like that's not how it works. (laughs) You know, like if you're if you're if you think you're winning because you're successful, but you're not happy, chances are you're playing someone else's game. I like that. Yeah, you know? that's, that's likely what's happening because anyone who plays their own game feels a sense of happiness, you know? And no one burns out when, when they're having fun. <laughs> no one. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, no one burns out when they're having fun, you know? And so when you're able to really, really like, I get a say in how my life, what my life looks like. Yeah. And you start to, I don't like to use the term, I control, because I think it was when we let go of control, we realize how little we have. But if you just really start to take more ownership uh, and more responsibility for how you can allow your life to look the way it does. So instead of seeing making time for fun as a burden, right? Because you're not making more time, you're just taking more time. And right. you know, I, I work with a lot of like logical minded, People. And so I always tell them, if you take 1% of your time away from your productivity and you give it towards fun, do you feel like you're going to have a 1% drop in productivity? And most of them say no. Like it may not even be noticeable. So I'm like, all right, well, then it's worth it, you know? Right. And then and then after like the repetition and the and the meet and the constant experience of having fun, now they're dedicating 2%, 3%, 4%. Now 4% is like 60 minutes, right? which for some people, if I were to say, hey, let's dedicate an hour of your time every day to having fun, that seems insurmountable. But once again, if you're spending 4% of your time and you're taking that time, right? You're not making it, we can't make more time, (laughs) right? But if you're taking that time and you're placing it somewhere else, will you expect a 4% drop in your productivity? Chances are you won't, you know? And I think by giving your that 4% and putting it towards playfulness, Mm-hmm. It actually will become an energy booster for you, and so Maybe, you might yep. be, yeah right like right. studies Maybe. have actually shown that happier employees are anywhere from ten to twenty percent more productive. That's it, right? You know, and so like it, there's there's a the, the correlation is really happiness becomes the gateway to success,
0: not the other way around, and it, and it really starts like with that. you know playing your own game. Yeah, I like that. So I got a I got a couple of questions I wrote down when yeah. you were. Uh, Going over your backstory there. And we just touched on this. You said success didn't solve it. You got to a place where you realized that success didn't solve it. And the drug and alcohol kind of came in as a replacement. I think that's common with everybody like we're trying to mask or Uh, The cortisol levels are really high because we're not in this happy place and drugs and alcohol, pornography, binge eating, things like that are like the fastest replacement to kick off dopamine in the brain to make us feel happy. But they have associated with it all of these negative consequences. So when you said you went therapists, leadership meetings, you know, conferences, life coaching, all this stuff. Can I ask? We didn't talk about this, but can I ask, did you get to what the root cause was like? What was the root cause that was not allowing you to find that fulfillment and that happiness.
1: Yeah. So it was it was a fear of not like not being significant. I had a okay. fear of being, of being insignificant. Fear of actually if I could even go deeper because this was, this is actually what was the thing. It was a fear of not mattering. I okay. was really afraid of not mattering, and so I always ha- was had created this pattern for myself of seeking external validation. Usually from people, right? You know, and wanting to consistently get that validation, and so I started to notice the pattern. So, for example, like whenever a, a client, you know, a prospect would hire me as as their 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 coach, I'd be super excited, and I want to celebrate it. And typically, how I would celebrate is having like, a, you know go out and buy a scotch and, and do that you know mm-hmm. another way to kind of mask even celebration celebratory experiences of feeling high senses of, of, of high levels of emotion but i also noticed that if a client if a prospect did not hire me i would question everything about my existence <laughs> I, would, I would question my my entire identity why am i doing this like am i actually really good enough to do this right it was it was such a, a, a it was on two ends of the the spectrum. And it's. I saw the first part of just the validation, right, the needing to feeling important to people, feeling Mm -hmm. needing to be significant to others. And it didn't matter what relationship I had, whether I was a friend, a father, a husband, a business person, a coach, a mentor, a son, you know, an uncle, brother, it didn't matter what role I was playing, I was looking for that validation. And I grew up just not having that, at least not enough, maybe, you know,
0: okay, that's Uh, what I I wanted to
1: ask. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame, I don't blame my parents for for any of of this. I mean, they did the best they could, you know, but I had to also acknowledge that like, I can be, I was messed up, you know, and I can be upset Mm -hmm. about that, you know, but it's not their responsibility now. It's it's my responsibility. So I get to do something about that. And then once that came, once that fear of not mattering came up, then it started to really help me understand why I had, I, I wanted to escape, why I wanted to run, you know, the stress that I was feeling was part of not wanting to let people down. As I took on more responsibilities, right? It became overwhelming for me because I was like, man, like I'm taking on these responsibilities and yeah, I'm doing well, but what if I screw up? What's gonna happen? You know, I'm gonna be seen as a loser or my wife's gonna leave me or she's, not gonna, she's gonna think less of me. Or I'm not gonna feel as much of a man or if I even talk about this stuff, right? I also had a lot of stories around that, right? like guys like me don't talk about their feelings, you know, guys, guys like me typically don't show up in that way. You know, we just kind of, you know, bitter down, we white knuckle it, if you will, yep. and, and we, we get the job done, which I'm really good at, you know, but then I carry all this extra excess weight, right? And then eventually it becomes unbearable. So what am, what am I going to do? For me, it was go out to the bar, you yep. know, it was go out to the bar, and hide in public, (laughs) right? right. Right? Because I can't hide at home, right? Everyone sees me at home, you know? But I can hide in public. And it was so easy, and it was so convenient and accessible. And listen, we, we, and to your point, like we talk about vices, right? So we talk about food, and porn, and alcohol, and drugs. But like, there are people who use exercise and fitness as their escapism people use video games right people use work right there's just just even though they might have intended positive benefits if the intention is to run away from something that's when it can become a very unhealthy practice you know and so it could even be something that's good for us right someone who's addicted to self you know uh to personal development right to self-help that can become an unhealthy thing over time if they're looking to escape something something right and so i'm glad you asked that question because without finding out what the core of that was i would still have a lot more struggles than i currently do because i wouldn't know the root cause of why i'm feeling the way i do and so anytime i'm in an internal struggle or if i'm seeing a particular behavior in me that i'm not uh happy with you're know, happy with or i don't like that's where i go to first it's like what is it about me that's not feeling significant enough to have the peace of mind to handle this situation to behave in a way that's more responsible and appropriate for the kind of
0: situation that's happening, you know,
1: and I connect with that.
0: Yeah. No, uh, I, I, uh, went on my deep dive in 2016 because I had gotten out of prison in 04 and had been on a good trajectory of making right choices. You know, I was an eight year methamphetamine user needles, went to prison, like in and out of juvie, my, my whole adolescent years and all that stuff. But I had one of those, uh, divine so to speak spiritual wake-up calls like we were talking about earlier and it kind of put me on a right path but everything from a traumatic childhood PTSD stuff uh, toxic words that were spoken over me different things like that had developed this identity within my own mind of myself and I didn't even realize any of this stuff so when I started Reading the books and listening to podcasts and like trying to educate myself on how the mind gets toxic. Man, I was blown away. And I'm kind of nervous now because you just mentioned people can be addicted to self help and personal growth and development. (laughs) I've been devouring this stuff for like several years now. Um, But it's been super, it's been super helpful for me in trying to identify the root causes of why I was always a bottom feeder stuck at the bottom in life. And, uh, you know why I would always pull the pin on a hand grenade, throw it into my own life when I would start seeing like some limited success in life and whatnot. But, uh, no, it's been good, man. It's been a good journey. And, uh, last, let's see, 2019, I really started to, to, to get this mindset within myself where, you know what, you've learned a bunch. Let's start something. You know, and I didn't know what all the different people I was listening to. It was almost like even though these different podcasters and and coaches didn't know each other, they were all firing on the same thing during a during a certain time frame that I was listening to. And it was like you can become a consumer and never be moved into action like you get stuck in consumer mode.
1: Yeah. So that's started, where the, that's where the addiction can, can take place. Right. So you were saying yeah. like, I'm nervous about that. Well, that's, that's one key indicator that shows the difference, right? If you're just okay. consuming for the sake of consuming, because you like the dopamine hit of learning something new, right. But you're not actually applying it to your life, which is the real experience of human growth, right. Then you can start to figure out what's going on. Right. But if the detention, if the intention is, I want my life to be better. And then it carries not just through the acquisition of knowledge, but the implementation of said knowledge. Yes. Then, then we're onto something. Right. And, and I, have been there. I used to be a huge consumer of, of information, but never an, an app, you know, employee, never being able to apply it. Um, you know, and so, cause it feels good. Feels good to learn something new. <laughs> it feels good to, to know something about ourselves, you know, but if we're not doing anything with it, It's like anything else that we consume in life that makes us feel better about ourselves. It will bring us back down. And sometimes it'll bring us back down lower depending on how high the the rise was, you know? And so you got to pay attention to, you know, those things. So, so, you know, how to understand, so you can understand better how to navigate, like, what are you taking in and what are you applying, you know? But I mean, if it's, I mean, based on our conversations that we've had, like, you obviously you, you apply
0: a lot of the things that you've learned in your life because yeah we're trying <laughs> I think the technology part for me is the biggest bear and I you know piss and moan about it you know on my podcast people are probably tired of listening to me talk about it but I've met a have met a few people on the journey uh, this one lady in particular she has uh, like marketing degrees and different stuff like that and every once in a while I'll reach out to her and I'm like I've got all this content, you know, I've got all these ideas, but like, I don't know how to put it into action, you know, and uh, she'll drop me a few nuggets here and there. She doesn't overwhelm me and stuff like that, but she'll give me uh little, you know, just little things that I can start applying. And uh, so I actually have my first in-person personal growth and development workshop uh, in town this coming weekend. And That's awesome. So, yeah. I'm excited about it. You know, I'm not, I'm not Tony Robbins or nothing like that, but I know that there is a large group of people out there that are not living to their potential i know there's a large group of people out there that are letting traumatic issues from their past that are bottled up like bottled up emotions like we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. keep them stagnant and and their inability to get past those issues or just give them meaning like we don't even have to like some things are so tragic that happened to us you can't fix it but if you can give it meaning and get some understanding on it then you can heal and you can start moving forward. And when you start healing and moving forward, the life that you want to live, it starts attracting back to you. Almost like you don't have to work so hard to become successful. You are now attracting that to you. And I'm starting to kind of see little percolations of that. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. whoa, there's really something to this. So just totally off topic here, just for the audience. Yeah. Can you explain in detail what a wingman is and what a wingman does specifically? Yeah. I mean, so
1: what I, what I did as the professional wingman is I went out with, with my clients into social environments, whether it was a bar, a networking event, coffee shop, like wherever, outside a park, it didn't matter where it was, anywhere where you could actually congregate and meet people. And I would, Give them real-time feedback on what was preventing them from making the connections that they want. You know, so oftentimes I would pay attention to their body language, I would pay attention to their mindset going into you know, a particular interaction. I'd be able to be close enough to listen in on how you know, the conversation is happening. And sometimes I would also support them. You know, sometimes it could be really intimidating to approach a group of, you know, three or four, really, if you're a guy wanting to approach a woman, like, uh, you know, it could be really intimidating to approach a group of four really attractive women in a really dynamic environment like a, a bar or a lounge or any place like that, right? Yeah. And so to have the support of someone who actually knows how to engage groups and connect with them, you, you feel a little bit more confidence, you know, and then you don't, have to, you don't have to worry so much about the logistics of how to navigate such a larger group and you get to really focus because, what I've, what I've learned over the years is that a lot of people just had kind of their own programs and stories around how interaction work in those environments. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them felt like they needed to be this gregarious, highly engaging person that could talk to multiple people at the same time. And yeah. the truth is like, that's not the relationship that you want. <laughs> you right. want a relationship with one person. So all right. you need to do is figure out what the strategy is that can help you get into a situation to talk with someone one on one, but obviously the person that you want to talk to. So mm-hmm. that is what that is what I did for a lot of people um, over the years, and it was it was awesome, man. I mean, people are still getting married and in relationships through the work that I'm doing. I think at this point we have a little bit over 400 engagements, um, oh, wow. definitely thousands of relationships at this point. You know, but yeah. like it's uh, it continues to reap the rewards. So despite so- what it end up doing for <laughs> doing for me. And you know, kind of being the uh, the catalyst, if you will, for really dis- discovering my truest self. It still has wreaked a lot of rewards for so many people, and it still continues to impact that. So yeah, that's that's that.
0: awesome, bro. In my mind, I'm <laughs> imagining this smoky lounge, right, and this very like five, six, seven figure guy who's really nerdy, right? Works for Microsoft, has hired you. Like I don't know how to talk to chicks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you guys are in this place All right, see those three girls over there, like which one do you want to talk to or right. I go over there and like good luck kind of a thing and remember everything yeah. I taught you and he's got to get up and like cast like Casanova stroll over there, you know, <laughs> put his glasses up on his nose kind of a thing and like figure out how to talk to this chick and deal with the possible rejection, mm-hmm. or she. In, you know, embraces the conversation and now he's got to like, oh, what did he tell me to do next and try to remember kind of a thing. I mean, I'm sure it's not exactly like that, but is that kind I mean, of, you're, like- not,
1: you're not far off at all. <laughs> yeah, right. hey, there cool, is a lot bro. of that, that's you know, because really cool, I mean, the, the truth is, I really wanted people to learn how to do this themselves. And if you're able to figure out how to do that in, in a very dynamic and socially pressured environment, like a smoky lounge or a bar or wherever, you can engage in conversations wherever you go. And interestingly enough, For a good period of time before uh, online dating really became you know kind of the primary tool to meet people, most of my clients were meeting their partners like living their lives like. At a coffee shop or at a library or in the park or like walking down the street like it, it became a lot easier for them to see that you can talk to people anywhere right. And then I started to see how they were actually able to use that to better their professional relationships as well. And so networking got a lot easier for a lot of people. And it was, yeah, I mean, the confidence alone is a huge benefit because then you start to realize that you have value that you contribute to the world. And there's someone out there or many people out there who are dying to meet you. You just have to present yourself as someone worth meeting, you know? Yeah. And so I like that it was fun it was a yeah. lot of fun man
0: <laughs> so are you not doing that anymore like have you kind of shifted gears completely with that yeah so i mean
1: the professional man is still around but i actually what i did is i looked at you know what are the common milestones or, or obstacles that most of my clients were going through and I actually made it into an eight-week course and so everything from approaching to flirting to how to have engaging conversation to what to do on the first three dates I put that in the program, but at the time my wife was also a, an online dating expert. And so she literally wrote the book on online dating, you know, how to do it. And so I actually got her involved. And so for me being the offline guy, she was the offline gal and she put all of her content of how to approach flirt you know converse and then get on to dates for, even for people who wanted to do online dating and so it, it really is the most comprehensive i mean i'm being biased here but it is the most comprehensive <laughs> solution for for being able to meet someone for a long-term
0: relationship whether it's online or offline you know yeah it's really cool yeah that's cool well um before we wind it down man we were talking about expectations Yes. And if you wanted to shift gears and just kind of talk about how expectations kind of affect how we show up in life and maybe just give us some nuggets, tactics, strategies on how to, you know, perceive expectations of others and the ones we put on ourselves and the ones we have on others, walk us through that. What's that look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been really navigating this for the past couple of weeks now. It's actually really rocked me to my core because I just didn't realize how many expectations I've had. And I, and it's all connected to that inner, you know, fear of not being significant, you know, and, and the need for external validation. So I heard someone say that, uh, you an expectation is a premeditated resentment. And I thought that was really powerful because our minds or our egos, you know, it's an, it's an automated program. It doesn't exist in the now, except for using it as a means of survival right? Or feeling safe. And so the moment we set an expectation of ourselves or of someone else, our ego will come in and assess whether or not that expectation even is met. And if that expectation even is not met, even if we had just made it, our ego will start to breed resentment for either ourselves or that thing. We just made the, we just made the expectation, right? But our ego doesn't know present moment right? It's just taking the program of like, has expectation been met? This is very similar to when we set goals. Studies have actually shown that when we set goals, we are actually unhappier in the pursuit of the goal <laughs> than, you know, than any other time, because our mind is constantly assessing whether or not we've made the goal. And if we have not made the goal, our minds can lead us to thinking that we're not good enough, we can start to create self-doubt, lower self-esteem, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is why when we do reach the accomplishment, it feels so exciting. But what's really happening is because our unhappiness was at such a low state, the boost of happiness is so much more dramatic, right? And so because we love this feeling, we set more goals. (laughs) This is why the program of being in playing someone else's game is so enticing and so easy to fall into. Because as long as we're able to continue to set goals, especially that we think that, we're, that make us happy, right? Then we'll, we'll, we'll be constantly in this pursuit. The media and society knows this, by the way. So they market and they do everything they can to create systems and structure for us to fall into this hamster wheel of this pursuit of happiness. Not realizing, that, you know, with us not realizing that happiness is just a moment, but going back to expectations and how it's connected, how it's related, when expectations are, are set, it's because there's a fear of something. And like I said, for me, it was the fear of not being, you know, not feeling significant or loved enough or anything like that. And even if like the, even if I'm aware that the expectation is either unrealistic or not being met, my mind is still running this program. So I can be as good as I can be no matter how how much work I've done, if my mind has this program, it's going to run it. And it just becomes this breeding ground, you know. And so what I've been learning is, is learning how to release expectations. And the more expectations I release, the deeper and the more expectations I, I uncover, you know, and so it can be a little, it can get like I said, like, it rocks me to my core because I just didn't realize how many expectations I've had. And and listen, and, and I'm still kind of understanding that you know it's reasonable to have some expectations, <laughs> right? Like yeah. there is an expectation to wake up and be able to breathe fresh air, right? There's an expectation to blink. There's an expectation to like, you know, be able to eat and drink. Maybe, right? You know, certain circumstances, maybe there is an expectation to eat or drink, right? But I think about that. I think about that because we tend to live our lives in in, in, in immediate reference points. Meaning like a great example to use is if you're scrolling on social media, studies have shown that like your your self-esteem lowers the more that you scroll. And that's because your your mind is looking at people's snapshot of their best life, right? How they're designed to project themselves, right? And uh, some people can carry on what's called a comparative mind, right? They'll compare themselves to that moment, that snapshot. And oftentimes what we do is we, depending on, you know, how deep we are in the rabbit hole, we'll compare our worst moments or our worst self to someone else's best, right? And when we're in a comparative mind, it's an immediate gate, Like you lose the game right away because you're not going to position yourself to compare yourself to someone who's better than you, right? Like you don't walk down the street, see a homeless person. And then you point at are like, ah, I'm better than you, right? Because society would say that's mean, right? That's insensitive. Mm-hmm. but yet we do this to ourselves yeah. right? all the time. And I think this is the most vicious form of self-harm. We don't even, and we're not even conscious that we're doing it. And so, and I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but what, what I'm saying here to bring it back to expectations is when you're able to release expectations, something different happens. Like I, I start, at least for me, I'll share my personal experience. Like I feel much more sense of peace. My stress level goes down. I tend to be more calmer in the moment. And so I'm not looking to like not even it's not even about raising my voice, but to be more emphatic with my behaviors or my or what I'm saying. Um, the anger, the shame, the guilt, the blame, the frustration, all those mm-hmm. things, they don't reach the surface for me. They don't, they don't even come up
0: for me, you know. Let me let me play devil's advocate on something real quick with that, because I know yeah. there's gonna be somebody out there that's gonna hear this and go. And this isn't me. I'm just trying to think how other people are going to perceive that to the and maybe you can give some clarity on how to reconcile the two. But somebody out there is probably going to go, well, it sounds like uh, we're just relieving ourselves of our obligations to get rid of our expectations. (laughs) How would you respond to that? Like, because, I mean, we do have like. I gotta get up and go to work every day, you know, and I gotta help my wife with this house cause she's a full-time teacher and a full-time student. Like, so there are expectations that we have in life. Mm-hmm. Where do you go with this? So the immediate the immediate thing I would
1: say is stop thinking about what you have to do and thinking, start thinking about what you get to do, right? Like you get to wake okay. up and go to work, right? You get to have a job that pays really well and supports your family. Right. You get yep. to be in a marriage with someone that absolutely adores you. Right. You get to have kids that, that can't wait for you to come home from work. Right. Like you, you get to have, you know, fresh air that you can breathe. Right. You get to have food. You know, like you start to shift from what you feel like you have to do, which then creates these expectations, right? Like I mean, expectations will exist whether we create them or not. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you shift from a place of having to do something to getting to do something, what you're doing now is you're, you're practicing gratitude, right? And yeah. gratitude is a stress reliever. <laughs> like gratitude is a way that can tap into your happiness, right? And your sense of feel, fulfillment and connection, right? So when you get to do something, it completely changes the, your perspective of how you, how you choose to approach it. Now there's a chance that you actually get to assess like, and, you know, is there a little joy in here in me being able to get to do this? And if there isn't, where can I find the joy or how can I create the joy in what I get to do? Because there might not be things you know, it may, you may not have a life right now where everything that you do throughout the day is something that you love doing. So, how do you, like you said, how do you reconcile that? Well, you start the shift to gratitude of being, you know, being grateful that you get to do something like that because who knows the next day. It might be layoffs and all of a sudden you don't get to do those things anymore at your work (laughs) because you don't have a job, right? right? So you get to do those things. And when you're in that mindset, you're now able, what ends up, what's happening is when you're practicing gratitude, you're using different parts of your brain, right? And so instead of thinking about what you're trying to, like when when you have to do something, you're trying to like get through, it's like Mario, right? It's like that last life. You're not trying to really take full advantage of what that level has to offer for you. Right, has to offer you. But when you get into a place of gratitude and you're like, I get to do this, your mind shifts into a place of, huh, like I want you get become more curious. You start to be more wondrous and explore, you know, what ask what parts of this experience am I getting to enjoy, really? You know, yeah. And you, and you just make it a practice. You you're not gonna nail it the first time. You know, I'm a big believer of sustainable. Pr- Progress over unsustainable perfection. You right. know, <laughs> like that's what my coach you tells really, me. Yeah. Right. Like you really just focus on one small thing and that's your win for today and let that be the focus. So that way you continue to feel the sense of gratitude of getting to do something. Yeah. You know, um, and once again, if you can learn to shift from immediate reference points to more absolute reference points, like for me, being three plus years sober. Like, I, if I ever feel like I'm having a hard time with life and I feel overwhelmed, I look back to January 12, 2019, as an absolute reference point of like, like wow, my life was awful then. <laughs> my life is like unrecognizable to, to that point. Mm-hmm. So, there's a lot for me to be grateful, you know, between now and then, you know? And so, I always look for immediate, absolute reference points. In my life, that can show how much transformation
0: I've already made, even though I'm still on the journey towards greater transformation. Yeah, I like it, man. People will talk; you'll hear it all the time about practicing gratitude, and it's almost like um, it's it's put out there as a part of a morning ritual. Like you get up in the morning, mm-hmm. and you got to come up with like five things or whatever that you're grateful for, and it just kind of gets your mind set into motion. But we never hear about continuing to practice gratitude even in things that you're not really, if you're being honest, so grateful for, you know what I mean? Like hearing yeah. a little bit, when my wife's getting after me about the fact that I left my dirty socks on the floor, I'm going to tell her, you know, you should be <laughs> grateful that you have an awesome husband who puts his feet in those socks. You know what I mean? No, but like, seriously, though, like there are things yeah. that are a part of my day, especially when I get home at the end of the day, and it's been a long day, and I've been on my feet, and it's a labor-intensive job, and I want to check out so bad when I get home. Yeah. But I got to remind myself that that's where the real work starts. Because when I walk through the door, I'm hanging up my worker hat, and I'm putting on my father hat, my husband hat, my homeowner hat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My influencer yeah. hat, like all these other hats. All day at work, I've really just been wearing one, maybe two hats. Yeah. But instead of seeing the fatherhood hat the husband hat, the homeowner hat, the influencer hat as an obligation to try to find gratitude in that, that I get to be a father. You know, I get to influence these kids in a positive way. I get to come home and help my wife because she's been working so hard all day on different things and she needs help here at the house, you know, and I'm actually, every one of these episodes that I do, they're all good. Like from start to finish, they're always good, but there's usually one little nugget that's for me. Mm-hmm. that gets dropped for me. Yeah. And I think that was the one for me, Thomas. Awesome. Is, uh, you know, not just doing your gratitude ritual in the morning, but anytime you are confronted with something that wants to steal your joy or steal your happiness or frustrate or upset your day, find the gratitude for something, something to be grateful for in that, in that moment, you know, and it'll totally shift the mindset and actually probably give me energy and, uh, a, a mindset to, you know, do that task, whatever it is, yeah. with a better attitude and see more productivity as a result of it, man.
1: Yeah. Gratitude, you know, is an easy way to, you know, I, I, was kind of hinting at will, I said willpower a couple of times, you know, willpower is energy, you know, and, and it's finite, you know, but when we don't have, like, when you come home from work after labor intensive day, your willpower is pretty low, which means that your ability to make decisions in the moment isn't great, right? And so you think, okay, like, how am I going to rest and recharge? Well, you do it by checking out, right? That your, your mind can can easily make that connection, that mm-hmm. if I just allow myself to do what I want, which is really what you want, right? You just want a little bit of autonomy. You've been going, you've been spending a lot of hours doing what someone else wants, <laughs> right. right? You want to come home and have a little bit of autonomy, right? Which is totally fine. But you can combine that autonomy with what you get to come home to. Yes. Right? You, you get, and you may want to be home with your wife and your, and your kids. And when yeah. you feel that gratitude, your willpower does increase, And your decision-making and your ability to be present is still there, you know? And so think of uh, each day, and I talk about this in my my book, like each day, imagine you have like a health bar, right? Like, just like in a game, right? And there's things that you do that happen throughout the day that will deplete your health bar. And usually it's based on what other people want of you, right, you know, things that your wife asks you, your kids, your work, other people. That's what's gonna deplete your health bar. And what, what I found most people don't do is they don't do anything for themselves throughout the day to replenish that health bar, right? And so by the time they're done with the day, they got nothing left for themselves. So of course they're gonna check out. Of course they're gonna feel burned out because their health bar is like at one. I can't say yeah. zero because then you're dead, right? <laughs> like, and, and and you know, and 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 to be even on serious notes, like there's some people who burn themselves out to the point of death, right? Like it, it's a real thing. And so, you know, and then we then we then we think sleep is what recharges us. It's only part of it. But you then we wake up feeling okay. Our health bar is full. Maybe it's ish, because, you know, if you don't get a good night of sleep, and then you do the whole thing over again. But the problem is, our output, based on this way of living, will always exceed our input. So it's inevitable that we're going to burn out. It's inevitable we're going to want to check out, because at some point, our mind is going to say, I need to take back control of my life. (laughs) <laughs> i oh, need okay. to do something you know and take back a little bit of autonomy i need a little bit of choice and agency in my life because i feel like a slave like you said i love right? it so, so that's what's yep. going to happen but when you yep. have these practices throughout the day right whether it's you know expressing that gratitude maybe you could even be sending a message to your to your spouse or your kids expressing how grateful and appreciative you are of them or checking in with them right? Like, or it could be going for a walk or doing 10 push push-ups, or it could be drinking a glass of water. It could be praying. It could be meditating. It, it, I mean, there's, there's so many things we typically think, okay, if I do all these things in the morning, cause it's a part of my morning ritual, I'll be good to go. But like, that's just maybe 15 to an hour of your day. Life will always have a way of challenging you, you know, because it's, yeah. it, that's what life is. And it's in those moments where if we had more practices that we can implement, it'll keep our health bar at a really good level so by the time you get home your body might feel tired right because you put in a lot of work and energy but mentally and spiritually soulfully you're still there to give a lot you know because that's ultimately what your your family is 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 looking for you know not just a body right but your presence
0: and you can give that. you know I love it. And I love how you go back to the game analogy with the health bar and all that stuff. No, that was definitely the nugget for me for sure on this one is that practicing, and I even wrote it down. When I I look at those obligations, um, not as obligations, but with a sense of gratitude, it gives me back the autonomy because I don't have to come home and be all of those different things for someone else. After being something for someone else all day, I am choosing to be this and I get my autonomy back. I'm not serving. Um, yeah. How do I wanna put that? Um, I'm, not, I'm not a slave, I'm choosing to serve. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if yeah, I put that exactly. out, but that's exactly it, yep. bro. I love that, that's good, man. So as we wind this down, man, um, if people are interested, man, in like checking out what you're all about, like uh, coaching programs or website mm-hmm. or any of that stuff, man, how can people connect with you?
1: Yeah, if, so the most direct way, um, if you just want to learn more about me and in, in my programs, you can go to thomasedwardsjr.com. So it's Thomas Edwards and then the letters jr.com. And then I'm on basically any any social media that's out there. Um, most of my handles are Thomas H Edwards Jr. except for Twitter. It's Thomas H Edwards. They have a, a character limit for usernames. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then if you want to check out my book, it's actually Right now in the editing process and okay. it's going to be published through Morgan James. Um, the estimation is either late 2022 or uh, January, February, 2023, depending on the you know publishing process, but okay. you can pre-order your, your own copy uh, that they will fulfill. It's at oneupeffect.com. So the number one up
0: effect.com. I like it. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, this has been an awesome interview, brother. And I know yeah, I got yeah. a tremendous amount of uh, value out of it. And I know the listening audience will. Uh, Will, as well, we're going to have to bring you back after the book publishes because I want to read the book because the book is going to help me get a whole lot of more questions that I can ask to kind of tease out some more stuff. So something you yeah. think you'd be willing to do after the book publishes? Come back on. Oh,
1: 100%, man. I mean, yeah. I, all as you can tell, like, I'm very enthusiastic and I'm passionate about it, but this is also fun for me. Like I get to have so much fun with this and be able to share ideas and share the story because I just know there's people out there who and you know this too right? this is why we're doing that you're doing this podcast there are people out there who might be confused might feel stuck might feel like a little bit of a slave might feel like not free they don't feel they're feeling things and they're not sure what to do you know and i wish i had the awareness to look at people like you to and, and have the courage to ask how i can get through these type of times but i know i know my higher power wanted me to go through what i had to go through so i can have this message to share but Um, for me being able to have a platform, you know, to, to be able to leverage like yours and to be able to connect with you and talk about this. I mean, uh, that's, what's really fun for me because I know there's one person who's listening at this and they're pretty pumped and excited about the future now because they listen to our conversation,
0: you know, and that for me makes it always worth it. Awesome. Fantastic, bro. Cool, man. Well, Thomas, I'm going to let you get back to the family and all that. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to enjoy my non-obligated Sunday. My yes. gratitude enriched Sunday, but uh, have fun doing nothing, bro. man. I'll love uh,
1: <laughs> What's that? Say again. Have fun doing nothing.
0: Yeah, no, I certainly will, man. When I get it uh, edited and published and all that, I'll send you the link for it, and we'll awesome. go from there. Thanks again for being on, bro. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. Talk soon, man.